Hey, it's Chaz Mostert here, and yes, I'm inside your speaker. I'm in here because I have a special message for you from Clayton in Melbourne. If you're a club, state, or national racer on the circuit or on the dirt in Speedway or rallying, you can now tap into the know-how of Walkinshaw Racing Services, and you don't need a supercar to get in the door. The same expertise that's won multiple Bathurst 1000s and V8 Supercar Championships is now available for you to call upon. From bonnet to bumper, WRS can help you with engines, design, paint, machining, fabrication, and so much more for all sorts of makes, models, and categories. Have a chat with Walkinshaw Racing Services and tell them what matters to you. Call now on 1300 WRacing or email services at walkinshawracing.com.au. A Motorsport Podcast Network production. Hello and welcome to the Castrol Motorsport News Podcast. I'm your host, Andrew Van Leeuwen, and here's what's making news this week. Garth Tander will race a forward in supercars for the first time next season. The reigning Bathurst winner turned down a contract extension with Triple Eight and signed a multi-year deal with Grove Racing instead. As part of the deal, Tander will mentor Grove rookie Matt Payne, while young go-karter Sebastian Tander, Garth's son, will join the Grove junior team. In other Garth Tander news, he won't race at the Bathurst 12-hour next year. Instead, he's expected to be part of the commentary team, as was the case to great effect this year. Speaking of the 12-hour, BMW has confirmed that factory squad Team WRT will field a pair of M4 GT3s in the race next February. There are some very strong rumours that Valentino Rossi might be part of that lineup. The calendar for the revived V8 Touring Car Series has dropped with a blueprint-only category to race on the Speed Series bill at the likes of Winton, Sydney Motorsport Park, Sandown and the Bathurst International. In other calendar news, the S5000 schedule has also been unveiled. The Gold Star will now be extended to include all seven rounds on the schedule, while the last two will count for both that and the Tasman Series. The calendar includes supporting supercars at SMP, The Bend, Adelaide, and a TBC for round six is expected to be a return to the Gold Coast. The Toyota Racing Series has officially gained FIA Formula Regional status. From 2023 onwards, it will be known as the Castrol Toyota Formula Regional Oceana Championship and will receive a boost in FIA Super License points. More on that later in the pod. And the Australian Superbike Championship has confirmed that it will once again stage its grand finale at the Bend in 2023 on the first weekend in December. That event has made a splash in the past couple of years thanks to cameos from MotoGP star Jack Miller. Joining me this week to discuss all that more as a teammate that I feel might have finished a little further up the standings this year if he'd spent a bit more time at Norwell, Stefan Bartholomew. Stefan, I do hope you've learned your lesson ahead of next season. Hello, Andrew. That's a very pointed intro from you this week, and I feel like it's not actually about me at all. So let's just back over this. Last week, Roland Dane said that Thomas Randall would have finished higher in the championship if he'd done as much coaching at the Norwell Motorplex as Brock Feeney did. I take mm-hmm. it that you disagree with that. I'm. This is nothing against Norwell or what Paul Morris does. It just feels like a fair oversimplification of things. I mean, I don't know that spending time at Norwell helps a failed clutch when you're on the front row <laughs> or your teammate hitting the wall in the first lap of the Bathurst 1000 before you've driven the car or getting caught up in someone else's accident on the Gold Coast, which I believe Brock Feeney was caught up in as well. So it just feels like a bit of an oversimplification of uh, of things. So it's not uh, – they do great work there. I'm sure it doesn't hurt doing lap after lap after lap. It always helps. But it was – I thought it was an interesting line, that's all. What did you make of it? 
Oh, definitely an oversimplified version of the truth, but uh, that's media, right? And uh, Roland is one of us now. <laughs> that's right. That's that's what we do. Uh, anyway, let's start with the big news of the last few days. Uh, Gar Tander has walked away from what was absolutely the best co-driving supercars at Triple Eight and joined Grove Racing on a multi-year deal from next year onwards. He'll be reunited with former. Triple Eight engineers David Couchy and Grant McPherson at the Groves. Uh, he will also race a Ford in supercars for the very first time in his long, illustrious career. Uh, now, there's a few factors involved in this. Sebastian Tander will join the Grove Junior team to help his burgeoning karting career. Um, Garth will also have a mentoring role within the team, helping rookie Matt Payne uh, and with the Grove Juniors in their program as well. Um, I grabbed Garth for a chat about this deal, and here's what he had to say. Um, well, that was a bit of a bombshell that you dropped last week there, Garth. Uh, Garth Tander, a Ford Supercars driver. That's not something I necessarily thought that I'd ever say or hear. Tell us about how this whole thing kind of uh, came about. Uh, look, it, it was actually Couchy reached out um, to talk about, oh, to see if there was any interest there. Initially, it was at the kart track. So um, there was a bit in the release where it said, where we said that, Sebastian actually signed for the junior was going to sign for the junior team regardless of what yep. I got up to, and that was where that started. It was actually when Couchy came out to the track to check on some of the other um, Grove junior drivers, mm-hmm. and um, and uh, and then the discussion sort of started there, and um, and and here we are. So obviously creating a pathway for Sebastian and his career. I mean, I know you're saying they weren't necessarily linked, but that has played a role in this decision for you to sort of align yourself, you know, as a, not just as an endurance driver, but in this sort of mentoring role with that team as well. Yeah. Look, it's sort of separate, but obviously together, obviously yeah. given it's the same, same team, but um, yeah, look, my role is more than just a co-driver. Uh, the role is obviously co-driving, but to also help, uh, Maddie Payne and make the transition from uh, Dunlop series to main game. Yeah, we've certainly seen um, in the past that anyone in reality that makes the step from Dunlop series to main game has struggled, and it is a big step. And and Matt certainly has risen very quickly, like one year of Porsches and one year of Dunlop series, and here we are, main game. Yep. So, there, um, my role is to help smooth that transition and and help him um, shortcut a few of the the learnings that need to be learnt um, uh, and then also with the with the junior academy uh, the junior team um, you know help shape that and and formalize that a bit more and look what we can do to um, to continue to grow that um, not only, not so much with more people but how we do it and how we can make the academy better yep. for the kids that are in it oscar targets in it and mika limizra is in it as well as sebastian so um you know how we can help better prepare them for what they want to achieve in motorsport going forward the, the statement from Triple Eight expressed disappointment that you'd opted against re-signing with them. So that option was clearly there. I mean, given yes. the given the form that SVG is in at the moment, how hard was it to walk away from you know the the best enduro seat in the business and take on what is a very different challenge? Uh, yeah, very difficult, terribly difficult. Because um, yeah, I mean, you're right. I was walking out of. Um, a very good car for the very with a very good team, and obviously Shane's in the form of his life. So um, 
that uh, was was difficult to walk away from, but I don't feel like there's too many of these opportunities around um, for me um, to be able to do what I've been given the opportunity to do at Groves. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, you know, it's not so much even just the driving stuff. It's, you know, stuff that potentially can go on into the future as well. So, um, yeah, look, it was a very difficult decision, um, but ultimately um, – you know, it was uh, a very, very good opportunity for me. So can you give us any hints as to who you reckon you'll drive with for the Enduros? You're a good physical match with Matt Payne, obviously, but mm-hmm. oh, David Reynolds and Garth Tander is one hell of a Bathurst combo. Uh, yeah, it is, but we're, when when there's no rush whatsoever to make any decision on any of that, um, a lot of people have um, already – penciled me in to share with Matt, given our physical size and that I'll be mentoring Matt, but um, but that's not necessarily the case. I mean, you also have to remember in Gen 3 cars, you can move the pedal box in a heartbeat. Yeah. So the, the whole height thing is far less of an issue than it's ever been before. It's more like a GT car now where you can move the pedal box. Yeah. You did, so, you did win Bathurst with Jason Bargwana as well. Yeah, so I yeah, guess but it- that was probably <laughs> a bit – that was a bit more difficult. Yeah. <laughs> um, but, um, but, yeah, the height thing's not a problem. So a lot of people may have dismissed the fact that, you know, Dave and I wouldn't team up because of our heights. Yeah. but. Um, but that's not the case at all either. So we won't we won't make a decision on that anytime soon. There were kind of whispers, you know, in the days after the Bathurst 1000 this year about whether you might go, well, look, five's a pretty good haul. Do you hang up the boots and focus on the TV stuff? Did that ever sort of cross your mind at all or were you always planning to carry on driving? No, no. I mean, I was always planning on to carry on driving and certainly after how I went this year, um, I've always said that if I felt that I wasn't contributing as a driver um, to do the driving aspect of things the way it needed to be done, then I would look at stop driving. Yep. But um, you know, I felt like it went pretty well this year as a as a as a driver and as a as an athlete. You sort of reflect and and um, debrief with yourself and and sort of um, get a clarity of how you think you went. And, um, yeah, it seemed to go pretty well this year. So, um, no, I mean, there was a lot of – for some reason, there were some people that seemed to think that I was retiring yeah. um, before the race even happened. I'm not sure why that was the case, but um, that wasn't in my mind. Sort of roughly on the same topic, the Bathurst 12-hour, which is rapidly approaching us already, mm-hmm. which is weird mm-hmm. to say in December. Uh, you called that race last year and did a fantastic job in the comms booth. What's the plan this year? Are you going to be in a car or are you going to uh, stick with doing the calling? No, the plan is to be doing um, some calling, to back doing TV. Okay. Um, yeah, that's the plan. It's a, it's a very good opportunity to spend a long period of time in the commentary box. So um, that's something that um, you don't get an opportunity to do all that much. So, um, yeah, I, I enjoyed it last year. Um, so, yeah, looking forward to it again in the future. Stefan, as I mentioned to Garth during that chat, you know, given what he's walking away from, Triple Eight, a crazy informed Shane Van Gisbergen, this is a really ballsy move, I reckon. What do you make of the whole thing? Yeah, it was a genuine bombshell, wasn't it, Andrew? We all thought that his time as a driver would finish at Triple Eight. So to mm-hmm. walk out of the most successful team in the country is just extraordinary. There's obviously a few attractive elements about his role at Groves that he explained there but this appears to me like it's an own goal from triple eight like he wants to keep driving you've got the best car and the best driver to put him with how do you not get that deal done 
And I think the cynics would say he's just gone for a bigger paycheck. But I'm hearing that a real sticking point was that Triple Eight wouldn't actually commit to Garth being with Shane in the contract offer there. So they wanted to keep their options open to put him in either car. And that's uh, it's an awkward one when the other co-driver is the bloke actually doing the negotiations. That is exactly right. And it's very funny you say that, Stefan, because I heard exactly the same story. There was a lot of a bit of chain dragging in the whole process. And yeah, this this unwillingness to commit to which car it would be uh, were kind of sticking points. And eventually, I mean, we saw a kind of similar situation uh, with Tim Slade and Blanchard Racing Team early this year where things begin to take too long and someone else sees an opportunity and and goes and gets a deal done. Um, and it feels like this is kind of what might have happened there as well. Um, again, as uh, as you know, referenced in that chat with Garth, what hasn't been confirmed as part of this whole deal is who he will actually partner for Sandown and Bathurst. I mean, forget the physical similarities between Matt and Garth. I just cannot see the team being able to turn down a Reynolds-Tander combo for Bathurst. Unless, of course, Matt really surprises everyone and is quicker than Dave in his rookie season. But I just feel like you have to go. Yeah, if you make this investment in Garth-Tander, he's got to be in the car most likely to help you win the Bathurst 1000. What do you reckon? Yeah, I agree. It would be hard to go past that combination. And actually, they've come like close to teaming up a couple of times before. Like when Reynolds made his enduro debut in 2007, it was meant to be in one of those two HSV dealer team cars. Yeah, And he ended up at PWR. And then they were in the same squad at, at Walkinshaw's uh, in 2010, but not actually in the same car. So, yeah, it would be a great combination to finally get together. And I think Garth's comment about the pedal box being so easily adjustable in Gen 3 was a pretty poignant one there too. That should make it easier for those mismatch kind of combinations. Yeah. Uh, but we've got to wait and see who else Groves get as their other co-driver as well, I think. Uh, unfortunately, it looks like Matt Campbell and Earl Bamber could both be out of the running due to a date clash between IMSA and, uh, and Sandown, which uh, which is a shame. But, yeah, we, we don't know who their other co-driver is yet. If they can get someone that's better than Garth Tander, <laughs> then they're doing pretty good. If they've got a better option for David Reynolds than Garth Tander when the Sandown 500 rolls around, then I'll be tipping my hat to the Groves because that would be pretty <laughs> pretty amazing. So the other side of this is that Triple Eight now needs a new co-driver. So back to what we just discussed, it may not be as simple as just finding a partner for Shane, which is kind of where everyone's head went straight away when this news was announced, it could wind up being a partner for Brock. Um, you know, based on what we're hearing, that's not out of the question, or at least the, the, Jamie wants to keep that option open to maybe jump in with Shane or something like that. So what what we expect is that, you know, Jamie will continue as a co-driver in one of the, the Red Bull Ampole cars. Uh, Craig, uh, Craig Lowndes will be back, um, likely again in a wildcard entry. That seems to be a system that's working quite well for the team there. So the obvious choice as a new addition to the team is Richie Stanaway, uh, particularly if it is choosing a driver for the 97. Uh, he and Shane get on well, and the team clearly rates Richie because they were studying his onboard um, from wet weather running uh, ahead of Bathurst this year. Uh, speaking of fast Kiwis, Nick Cassidy was in Adelaide last week for the 500. He doesn't have any clashes with Sandown and Bathurst next year with his Formula E stuff. And, and you know, my understanding is that he's been shopping himself around a bit for the Enduros as well. So obviously him and Shane have raced together um, at the in the Asian Le Mans series at the Bend before to, to some success as well. Um, and then there's the ultimate wild card, like there, what would be just an incredible lineup, which would be a Scotty Mac SVG dream team. There is the Chevrolet connection there. 
there is a tiny, the tiniest bit of clear air at the end of the IndyCar schedule. Not much, but um, Stefan, what are your thoughts on how this could all shake out? Yeah, it'll be intriguing to see which way they do go. And they've had some left field picks before, you know, with the likes of Matt Campbell and yeah. and El Bamba back mm-hmm. uh, a couple of years. And all the guys you mentioned there would be exciting options. I mean, I'd love to see Nick Cassidy get a run in the Enduros, whether it's Triple yeah, Eight or somewhere else. Like, I think a lot of his achievements overseas have gone a bit under the radar in this part of the world due to the fact he's not actually raced here a lot. But uh, he did test with Erebus back in 2019, and I'm sure that in a good team like Triple Eight, he'd slot in without uh, too much drama. But clearly, Scotty McLaughlin and Shane Van Gisbergen together would be a marketing dream for supercars. As you say, their manufacturer commitments align, even if there's other things there like fuel sponsors that don't. Do you actually see this as any chance as, as happening, this, this dream team combination? I, I just don't know. So I mean, there, there was there was I think I think it was over the Adelaide weekend. There was an interview with Scott. I think they might have spoken to each other on the broadcast. I didn't actually see it, but apparently he, they did talk about teaming up together for Bathurst, or there was some reference to it. Here's what I just feel like the sticking point will always be: Does Scott want that direct comparison in lap time to Shane? Like, there's no hiding from it. It will be the same car. That, that it will be a direct comparison, and I'm just not sure he'll want that. Now, it's completely understandable that if that happens, Shane would be quicker. He's the guy driving the cars day in, day out. It's his team. It's his car. But that's a lot of explaining for Scott to have to do in the build-up to why he's probably not going to be as quick as Shane over a lap and why Shane is going to be quicker than him. And I'm just not sure that he could get himself in the headspace for that. I don't know. Maybe I'm maybe I'm overplaying the importance of the ego in a racing car driver. I don't think I am, but what do you reckon? Do you think Scott could handle that direct comparison? Yeah, it's an interesting point. I do think the fact that it that it would be Shane's car uh, means that the expectation is not there for Scotty to go out and be faster than him, but that's all very well to say in theory, and then you would have to control the drivers on the actual race weekend itself. But um, Yeah, yeah but no, th- one, no one yeah. would expect it, but it's that is still the black and white outcome that one's mm. going to be quicker than the other one, you know, when there's been this, it's been the, the big debate, you know, who is who is the greatest Kiwi of the modern era? I don't know. It's, I just, I'm not sure I could see it happening from that perspective. Yeah, so then it would be about whether Scotty can prep for it in the right way and the fact that the IndyCar finale is the week before Sandown would yeah. make it pretty tight and uh, I'm sure that Scotty's hoping he's celebrating a championship that that following weekend rather than necessarily being in Springvale. So, um, yeah, it, it feels like a long shot, but you never know. Every lap in under a minute. Every move made to matter. Every decision impacting the outcome of the race. Supercars in Perth. Every second matters. Bosch Power Tools Perth Super Sprint, May 17 to 19. Book now at Ticketek. Supercars. Unforgettable. Um, Stefan, before we move on to our supercar season review, I just want to circle back to some news that broke during the Adelaide 500 weekend. We didn't have much of a chance to chat about Dick Johnson Racing's appointment of David Noble um, as their new... CEO um, because of all the other stuff that was going on last week. But, you know, th- th- here's a guy who was up until midway through this season was the head coach of the North Melbourne AFL club. So it is a very 
out-of-the-box appointment by DJR. Uh, Stefan, what did you make of this appointment? Can someone from from so far outside this sport and this business succeed in a top team role like this? Yeah, it's a fascinating appointment and obviously one driven by Brett Ralph who recently bought 80% of that team and has um, – has uh, fingers across several sporting organisations. I mean, there's always scepticism when someone from outside the motorsport bubble is brought in. And David Noble has sports administration experience, but certainly nothing in racing. So he'll have his eyes wide open at the moment, I'm sure. But I do think there's value in bringing in some fresh ideas on the business side. And that's the structure here. It's not that he's actually here to run the race team. That's yeah. Ben's Croak's role as the as the team principal, and Ben is a very good operator with a lot of experience. So Noble is there to make sure they have the money behind them to go racing and really take that helicopter view of the organisation. Yeah, totally. Now I, I take that. Yeah, his job isn't to make the cars go any faster. I just think that there's still a lot of learning to do. You know, you look at other teams have CEOs like Barry Ryan or Tim Edwards who have a very strong motor racing background, a much more motor racing than than business or administration background. Um, they can very quickly ratify the potential sporting impact of an area of spending. You know, when someone in the team comes and says, we should spend money here, it's I would imagine it's easier for them to go, yeah, cool. Okay, yeah, that makes sense. I can I can picture exactly how that makes sense where that's learning that David will have to do when Ben comes to him and says, I think we should spend money here. There won't be that instant understanding of, you know, what that impact will be. But, you know, yeah, yeah, it's it's fascinating. I'm certainly not saying that it's a bad decision. Um, mm. I just think it's a it's a very fascinating one. It'll be fascinating. What will be fascinating is like doing, you know, from from what I understand of reading about his his latest tenure at North Melbourne, at least, he can deliver a pretty legendary spray. So um, I assume, let's face it, Stefan, there's a good chance we're going we're gonna to cop one firsthand at some point. That well, that's probably why, why you should be uh, giving the bloke a chance uh, before he uh, gets going <laughs> so you don't cop one of these straight up. But I think with your points there, like a team like Erebus, and, and they're all sort of structured a little differently, but Erebus is very different in that like – Barry Ryan is effectively playing Ben Croak's role yeah. too in that yeah. organisation. So it's it's a smaller team and a, and a different way yeah. of going about it. And, and it's the same at, at, at Tickford. I mean, Tim has the cans on. He's making decisions. He's part of the – yeah, the, part of the actual sporting processes and this obviously isn't the case. But, yeah, it's definitely interesting. Actually, thing is just talking about sprays. It just popped in my brain thinking about uh, Nick Cassidy driving the Erebus car. I seem to remember you uh, causing some dramas when that all happened as well, Stefan. Uh, Surely we've got other topics for the podcast this week, <laughs> Andrew. Right. You haven't uh, run out of things already, have you? <laughs> I've just just popped in my head, that's all. All right, no, I haven't run out of things. Let's move on to our verdict on Supercars Season 2022. So we've decided to go with a bit of an award style this year and dish out some imaginary silverware uh, of our own based on various categories. Um, Stefan, I think let's start with best race of the year, pick our favourite race of the year. I'm going to go first because I want to get in with the very obvious choice that is race three at Pukekohe. It had everything. The battle between SVG and Cam Waters was immense. Two incredible drivers going at it. The outcome was incredible. You know, SVG winning at his home track one last time, winning the Jason Richards trophy with Andrew Edwards, who was so close to, to JR as his engineer. Um, I actually spoke to, to AE this week for a feature uh, article that I'm working on, and he, he got quite emotional even just looking back at that day and, you know, talked about the fact that was by far the, the highlight of his first season working um, with Shane. Stefan, what wins your best race? 
yeah, it's very hard to go past that one at Pukekohe, Andrew. That was Supercars at its absolute best. I'd probably give an honourable mention, though, to that wet race at the bend. Mm-hmm. That yeah. uh, that sticks in the mind as well as pretty entertaining and some good uh, good battling there between Shane and Cam. Yeah, the only thing that ruined that was the way Shane absolutely just monstered away from the field once he got in front. It was like, this is an incredible battle. And then it was like, oh, okay, maybe Shane was... Having it a was, bit of a play it there was for a, for definitely a better to half time than it was in the <laughs> yeah. uh, in the rest of it. <laughs> That's right. No, but that that was honestly the the next race that sort of popped in my head. So obviously, we had a couple of crackers in Adelaide over uh, the other weekend as well. But yeah, so there's a few honourable mentions out there. Let's move on to best overtake of the season. Uh, despite passing being impossible in these cars, we did see some absolute beauties this year. Stefan, I'll let you go first on this one. Well, there were plenty to choose from, so I'm interested to see what you came up with. But uh, I'm going with Shane Van Gisbergen's move on Will Davison, lap one of race three at Sandown. That was the one where they ran side by side up the back straight and through turn Mm. six with Shane on the outside. And then Shane switched it back, which became the outside into turn 11 where he got the pass done. So that was that was a weekend where the DJR car was probably a bit faster and Shane knew he had to get it done straight away. So, uh, yeah, that was uh, move of the year for me. That's a very, very good one. I'm going to go with – actually, I'm going to sort of combine two into one. I'm going to go with Shane's work in Tasmania. Um, it's hard to split the moves on Cam Waters and Will Davison at the hairpin in races one and three respectively. But the way he would just nudge the car wide without straying outside the rules and drawing a penalty, and that would just set him up for a bit of side draft and the run down to turn six was just – Remarkable, And that contact was such fine line stuff. And we saw other drivers try it and it really not go well at all. Just to sort of prove how how it, it looked like this really aggressive, forceful move, but it was actually just ridiculous finesse to, to position the car right. It was it, it was brilliant stuff. So that's what I'm that's what gets my overtakes, I guess, of the season. Uh, we spoke a couple of weeks ago about the co-driver cup, Stefan, and that's based on the numbers. But uh, we're going to go with our best co-driver award here with who we think excelled at the Bathurst 1000 this year. Stefan, I'm going to once again just steal the absolute obvious choice. A man we've spoken about a lot already today, Gar Tander. I mean, like a, a 2041 in practice is absolutely honking. I don't care how much epoxy was on the track. That is moving very, very swiftly. So it's hard to go past him. And I'm going to go out on a limb here, Stefan, and suggest that maybe, just maybe, you're going to go with the driver who finished just behind Garth in that practice session. Well, Garth probably gets extra points for doing the heavy lifting on the Monday morning media calls as well. (laughs) So uh, that's the true co-driver hero of the year. But, um, yeah, like he probably wasn't the absolute fastest co-driver, but David Russell for me was the co-driver of the year for his performance alongside Brody Kostecki there at Erebus. And I just think the story is amazing here. Like if you remember that D Russ missed out on a ride in 2019 as a knock-on effect actually of Garth Tander losing his full-time drive. Yeah. You know, Dave was bumped by Tickford where he was actually contracted for Caruso who had signed with Triple Eight before Garth (laughs) became available if you're following me through all that. So anyway, like to to miss a year and then return via MSR um, but then work his way back to a top team and have the best two Bathurst results of his career in the last two years, that's that's a great story for David Russell. Absolutely. No, I very much remember the year that Caruso got paid twice to do the Enduros, <laughs> not, a, not bad at all. Let's move on to the biggest bombshell of the year. Been a bit of a late contender, I guess, with Garth uh, 
popping up with his news this week. But as clever as I tried to be with this one, there was just no going past the big one, Walkinshaw Andretti United's impending switch to Ford, one of the great defections in the history of our sport. Uh, and it's just wild to think that, you know, next year there will be two Walkinshaw Fords on the grid and then we'll rock up to Sandown and Gartander will be raising a Ford. Like what sort of backwards world are we going to be living in next year? Um, anyway, what's your what's your bombshell, Stefan? Yeah, no, it's it's impossible to to go against that. I mean, we yep. both uh, struggled to get our heads around it at the time, um, and to be honest, it, it still seems a little surreal. But yep. uh, it's all going to get a lot more real uh, very quickly. Yeah, there was even like you know some video from Gen Three testing uh, yesterday, and there was kind of like just like Luffy climbing into a Mustang wearing a walking shore suit. It was like this mm-hmm. just it still just looks very very weird. Um, all right. Biggest disappointment of the year is up next. I mean, this is not an award I think anyone is really hoping that they win. Who do you think dropped the ball this year, Stefan? Well, given our preseason predictions that we did on the podcast, unfortunately I think we're going to double up here mm-hmm. as well yep. with uh, with Nick Perkout. We both had him a long way uh, further up the order than he, than he ended up and it's almost a Daniel Ricciardo at McLaren type situation, isn't it? I yep. mean, it's just a mystery to everyone as to why it's not working and it really seems to be qualifying that's the big issue because his race pace is quite good. But yep. he ended the year with a 33-1 to head-to-head record in qualifying against Chaz, which is just ridiculous. And you hear the stories of Nick jumping in Chaz's cars on test days and matching him, but it's hard, yeah, it's hard to know what really is the, the go there. It is just so weird. It is just so weird. And, and like, yeah, it's yeah, obviously that's my disappointment of the year as well. I'm sure it's the disappointment of Nick Perkett's year as well. I don't think this is any would come as any surprise, you know, for a bloke as good as him. It has just been an absolute shocker, you know. And we just got far too used to seeing him that that far off his teammate in qualifying, which is kind of the, the scary bit. I, 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 and what I find really disappointing, I really felt like we were going to see a tussle between those two, you know. As you mentioned, we had him – a long way up in our top 10 uh, for our season predictions. We both thought Chaz would shade him, but it would be a really tight battle, um, and it just didn't play out that way. And we know the WOU package is tricky and that Chaz and Adam DeBore have kind of bashed it into something competitive, which obviously hasn't suited the way Nick drives the car. There's been all this turnover in terms of his engineering staff, for, for, for the engineering staff for Nick. Hopefully for him, Gen 3 is, a, is the reset he needs and he can get some stability and get some runs on the board and get his mojo back and we could see a battle between him and Mostert. But, man, it certainly didn't play out this year. While we're kind of on the subject of our preseason predictions, Stefan, let's just have a quick recap of how that how that kind of tallied up at the end. I think we ended up roughly the same. You, you, you're you're going to shave me just because we both had SVG in position and you had Chaz in position as well in third for the season and I didn't. So we had... Both had seven of the top ten. Perkat obviously didn't do as well as we thought. We both had Slade and Will Brand in our top tens, and they missed out. But you know, no, we weren't we weren't too far off the money. What do you reckon? Yeah, well, we had a big debate over whether you had Chaz Mostert as second, and mm-hmm. I had Anton Di Pasquale, and uh, Cam uh, Waters got in there and made us both look like fools. So uh, Yeah, we kind of both had him down around the fifth or sixth mark or something. Well, like you that. had him behind Perkat, so don't uh, drag me into that. <laughs> That's I just I've got I I've got no defense for that. Like there's no <laughs> there's nothing I can say that just did not play out. 
as we expected, obviously. All right, let's continue with our awards. Uh, next up is Best Recruit heading into 2022. Stefan, I'm going to go with Andrew Edwards to Triple A for this one. He and Shane really seem to have clicked. Um, I think that's helped take Shane to a different level this year. Obviously, the process of develop, uh, developing that relationship has been helped immensely by just how good that Triple A package is, and that's made AE's life a bit easier moving there because – um, they haven't had to try and make the car all that much faster because it's pretty fast. What also helps is Shane being Shane. Um, but Shane really does seem to love working with the bloke. Um, he said on the Sunday in Adelaide, you know, that Pookie was his high of the season, not because it meant so much to him, but because it meant so much to to Andrew as well through that Jason Richards um, connection. So the real test for those guys will be Gen 3 next year where they won't be starting with a sorted package. They're going to have to go and sort one out, but it certainly feels like that relationship is off to a to a flying start. Uh, Stefan, your best recruit? Well, I'll go with the other side of that coin and say David Couchy, who went from race engineer at Triple Eight yep. to team principal at Grove Racing. Obviously, race teams aren't just one person, but he clearly made a significant difference at Groves. And, you know, that crew was fundamentally the same year on year apart from him, and there was a clear uplift there early in in performance he's also attracted other great people into the business like grant mcpherson and, and now garth tender as well yeah. so um i think couchy's definitely been a good get for grove racing i think that's a really important point that probably the garth tender deal is a lot harder to do if you don't have someone like david couchy there driving that deal you know that legitimizes what they're trying to do and it makes people like garth go okay i can actually buy into the idea that this can be a competitive race team and we can do something pretty special so that's a very very good point um, our final award, which is very f- with a very fitting football theme, is the biggest own goal of the season. Stefan, lay it on me. What's your biggest own goal? Well, there's a few, but for me, I'll circle back to, to the top of this, that uh, Pukakoi was not only the race of the season, but probably the event of the season. Um, and mm. for there to be no New Zealand round at all in 2023, that's yep. uh, an own goal a handball, a red card to all involved, I reckon. <laughs> that's that's a good one. I, I I definitely had that on my honourable mentions. I was very close to going with that. I am going to stick with something from Pookie uh, and just I just think back to DJR not getting the wheel on Davo's car during his stop in the final race there. Uh, they were right in the hunt there for the Jason Richards trophy. Uh, Davo had been so quick all weekend and that was a, um, a pretty cruel blow for them, although it did lead to like, an incredibly fitting result in Shane sort of blasting through and winning that race. Let's move on from supercars for a bit, Steph. And I want your thoughts on the S5000 calendar. So to run through it, it's a seven-round season. All seven rounds will count for the Gold Star and the last two for both the Gold Star and the Tasman Series. The season will start with three appearances on the Speed Series build, Tassie in February, a Victorian TBC, which is expected to be Phillip Island, and then Winton in early June. Then it's all supercars from there with appearances at the Sydney Super Night, the Ben Super Sprint, another TBC for the first Tasman Series round, which will end up being the Gold Coast 500. They're just not a position to announce that yet. Uh, and then the Adelaide 500. Stephen, I feel like in recent weeks, we've seen how S5000 can work with the Gold Coast and the Adelaide events, like big events, the right events. It suddenly all makes sense. And I still feel like there's a bit too much here on this schedule. I would still rather see the focus on on a more compact schedule without the Wintons and the Bens, perhaps wait for the Grand Prix to sort of come back into play if and when this F2 and F3 experiment kind of proves a little too costly um i don't know what what do you think 
Well, it's a racing series, so the cars need to be out and about. They can't just sit there and do three events a year. And I don't think seven rounds is is enormous. They've obviously had to play the game in terms of being across some speed series rounds as well as the supercars events for, for commercial reasons. I agree that Winton does seem like a bit of an odd place for them, but at least Sydney Motorsport Park and the Bend are big open circuits that should suit the cars pretty well. Yeah. Yeah, well, what I can't work out is why we still have the Tasman series. I just it just still doesn't make any sense to me. And incorporating into the gold star feels like the start of a slow death rather than just pulling the plug on it. Like are we ever going to go race in New Zealand with these things? What what's going on? Yeah, it it certainly sets up a confusing end to the year if they're talking about two different titles being decided. Some yeah. of the mathematics in these title deciders are hard enough already. Forget about if they've got multiples, but I guess they know they're a chance to get a few extra entries for those uh, big street races at the end. So they're just trying to add an incentive to get those competitors and give them an extra selling point when they go to sponsors to try to get some deals done. But yeah, clearly there's also still that long-term objective to get to New Zealand. So they want to keep this Tasman Series brand alive. Whether that's realistic or not remains to be seen, but it may depend on what plays out with the Toyota Racing Series, which uh, I believe you have a bit more information on. Yeah, there is definitely some movement across the ditch in terms of uh, open-wheeler racing. So as of 2023, the, the Castrol Toyota Racing Series will have full FIA Formula Regional status. Its name will change to the Castrol Toyota Formula Regional Oceana Championship. Not quite as easy to abbreviate as TRS, but I'm sure we'll get there eventually. So it'll be worth uh, 18 FIA Super License points up from 10 It'll be one of seven Formula Regional Championships in the world, along with the Middle East, India, Asia, North America, Europe, and Japan. So it's quite a big step for the championship. It's recognition of its of its position in the uh, in the FIA pathway. Uh, I grabbed Toyota Kazoo Racing New Zealand boss uh, Nicholas Kaol for a chat about what this means, and here's what he had to say. So tell me about the significance of this change and having this full regional championship status, and and why you've gone down this path. Um, so at the end, today is just the, the, the final step in our journey with with uh, the FIA and going through the full recognition of the championship by the FIA, which starting in 2018 with the we were integrated into the super license uh, scheme, uh, mm-hmm. which was a big step from uh, from the the previous years, which had been building the reputation and getting those those drivers who made their way to F1 come through TRS makes us. Our series, our series relevant and recognized. So moving to the final step to be a, a full Formula Regional Championship, it's it's a logical way for us um, in a way that um, the FIA tried just to structure the whole system from bringing the driver from F4 to F1 and being the second step in, in the ladder with the Formula Regional makes the best compromise for us to be um, to be into offer to local drivers and international drivers. So that was the the fun stage we got, and uh, it all gets as well reinforced by the partnership we had this year with the W Series in providing yep. those cars to to that championship. It makes the sense for us because it's utilised our car a bit more towards towards the year, and 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 that makes makes the things the operation more more sustainable in a way from Toyota because. Over the last over the last eighteen years, Toyota has in, invested a lot in the sport and trying to get some 
funding back just to help that commitment from Toyota is, was important to us and just to move forward with uh, with the whole the whole championship. Um, so yeah, if, being now the known as the Castrol Toyota Formula Regional Oceania Championship, it's put as well a footprint on on the geographic location of the championship and, and then the recognition yeah. on the name. Um, because in the past we've only only the Castrol Toyota Racing Series. It was a good name, but oh, what what that car level is. Where, 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 mm. where do you fit? Where do you fit yeah. into that ladder? So having that stamp on the FIA in the Formula Regional level, it makes a clear indication where we are in that ladder, and hopefully offer to local drivers and Australian drivers, so Australian drivers and New Zealand drivers, a clear a clear vision where we stand into their journey to to F1. So that's that's such a such a good and and and, and good in achievements on our service to be that fully recognition from, from the FIA and to be fully integrated as as a Formula Original. Yeah, no, it's, a, it's amazing. So will Toyota retain the control that they have? Will Toyota Gazoo Racing in New Zealand retain the control of the series they've had? Does anything else need to change in terms of formats or technical specs or, or anything like that, or does it all say as it is? Uh, it all stays as it is. Like the, the the FIA has been has been pretty good with us and in trying to help us to be to be on that level. They they want us to be part of of the FIA family, and and they're pretty happy with all we're running the series. And there's no change basically required from the FIA to how we're going to run the series itself. It's going to be the same principle, same sporting principle, same technical principle uh, that will be the same as we've been. On, on the last on the last season, like the, the, if you look at the last international season in 2020, there will be no change really from 2020 to to the 2023 season in terms of the operational of of the series itself. So let's keep keep the importance and as well um, to your, uh, the FIA allowing uh, just that we use till the, the two big partner into the name of the championship with the Castrol and Toyota being part of the championship name is has been a pretty pretty big step which if we look at the other uh, Formula Regional Championship they haven't fully achieved yeah. and and it was a big push on us to say yes we want to be but Castrol and Toyota have been very strong partners to the series and the series existed because of their commitment and the investment. So I can't disappear and just be called Formula Regional Championship. It has to be a Castrol Toyota. And that's FIA have been very understanding and understanding on the way Toyota was putting a lot of money and efforts and basically subsiding all of the drives and making the series achievable and affordable for all the people. That's been a recognition from the FIA to allow us to use uh, Castrol and Toyota in the, in the naming of the championship. You mentioned the last full international season was 2020. Obviously, it's been a tough few years for your category, you know, with the with the pandemic and people not being able to travel to New Zealand as freely um, to be able to, you know, have the Grand Prix and have the, the, the old school TRS seasons. How is the grid shaping up for the return of the category in its sort of full international glory early next year? Um, so we're working back on those international, which has been good. Uh, the interest has still been very strong from overseas. Um, the thing is, with with the last two years, us closed with uh, to 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 international drivers and international teams. We're partnershiping with our existing teams. They 
have moved their business to to the Middle East one. So it's it's let's say I would call it as a recovery championship. Yeah. Like we won't have the number we wanted to have on on the re, not the reborn, but just back on back on the back on the scene. Yeah. So we we're looking at the moment on a grid of fourteen drivers for for the season, and we will have some extra Kiwi drivers for the Grand Prix. So the Grand Prix we should be around seventeen to eighteen cars on the grid. So it's still a good level when you look at at the overall climate and everything, but still not at the level we want it to be. But I think it's just a question of showing we back back on back on the scene and that's let's say that's a review of recovery season and going back into the full international in twenty twenty four. All right, let's take a look at what's happening around the world. Zandvoort will continue to host the Dutch Grand Prix until at least twenty twenty five thanks to a new three year deal between the circuit and Formula One. Meanwhile there will be six sprint races on the Formula One schedule next season with Baku, the Red Bull Ring, Spa, Qatar, the Circuit of the Americas and Interlagos. Those chosen by Formula One, uh, Baku, Spa, Qatar and Kota are yet to host an F1 sprint race. And IndyCar is entering the docu-series space. Penske Entertainment teaming up with Vice Media Group to create the 100 Days to Indy series that will air on the CW Network next year. Stefan, it's my favourite time of the week when we play a bit of I Spy with my105.com. I, I'm going to go first this time around. Uh, Stefan, my eye was captivated this week by an Oz truck that is up for grabs in Mittagong in New South Wales. Now, if you don't know what an Oz truck is, think a NASCAR truck and you're pretty much there. I don't know much about these things, but it looks pretty gnarly and it's got a big V8 motor. And according to the ad, it's eligible for a combined sedans field at Bathurst, which I reckon would be a bit of fun. It sounds like a car and track combo that we would cook up on a Friday night playing Project Cars, and that's uh, that's good enough for me. So I'm going to go with an Oz truck this week. Stefan, what caught your eye on my105.com this week? Sounds like you've got a bit of a training rig uh, to eventually step up to a Trans Am there. That would be uh, yeah. some, some good practice for you. But um, yep. I'm going big for the final one of the year, Andrew. I've mm-hmm. got my eye on another V8 supercar. There's a Smith's Trucks uh, Racing VY Commodore for sale in Adelaide, which uh, the car actually started life as a Gibson Motorsport VT. It was the car Stephen Richards drove to victory in the first Canberra 400. It would be a pretty big job to get it back from a VY to a VT, but a cool car nonetheless. Yeah, and the VY was a a pretty car, so I think that is worth keeping as it is. All righty. Let's move on to the Castro mailbag. Uh, Daniel Cottrell asks, how many laps was Super 2 scheduled to do this year? How many racing laps did Super 2 actually do? And how many under safety car? That is a very good question because the amount of racing that that series has not done this year has been a topic of conversation many times in the uh, in the paddock. Stephen, have you got an answer for us on this one? Yeah, it is a great question because the numbers are pretty mind-blowing, especially when you consider some of these kids are paying up to 100 grand a weekend to race these cars. So V8 Sleuth stats man Shane Rogers has given me these numbers. There were 248 scheduled racing laps for Super 2 this year. 84 of those were impacted by a safety car intervention and then another 71 didn't happen at all, either due to time certainty or a complete cancellation. So that means just 38% of the scheduled laps are run under green conditions, which is uh, pretty damning stuff. That per lap dollar cost would be interesting in some cases, I would guess. 
Yeah, I mean, I spoke to Craig Baird about this issue in in Adelaide, and obviously some of those things aren't driving standards because they did have uh, like the race cancelled at, at Bathurst and whatever due to weather. But um, yeah. yeah, his point was quite interesting that all the teams come up and say, you know, Bairdo, you've got to clean up the driving standards here. But as soon as their driver is involved, they argue black and blue that they're innocent. So yeah. you know, if a young driver gets involved in an incident but their team owner, their engineer, their parents, they're all telling them that they're in the right. Are they really uh, learning anything there? That is a very, very good point. All righty, let's hand out some Castrol Stars of the Week. Stefan, uh, th- these are our final Castrol Stars of 2022, actually, and I'm going to go with Rubens Barrichello for my last Castrol Star. Um, he wrapped up the Brazilian Stock Car Pro Series at Interlagos on the weekend. It was his second Brazilian title after he won it back in 2014. He's been trying hard to win it again since, and it hasn't gone his way. Uh, in classic Rubens style, there was lots of tears uh, when he was celebrating the title. It was all very emotional. He did some donuts, and he even did a stationary burnout against the wall, but um, he decided to stay put inside the car, unlike our Kiwi mate yeah, in Adelaide. Actually, the, the English language commentary actually referenced Shane's skid while he was parked, while Rubens was parked up against the wall. So uh, if you just want, want you know proof that that – that skid definitely made headlines around the world. That is probably it. Anyway, Stefan, who gets your final Castrol star of 2022? Well, I'm throwing it forward this week and giving a star of the off-season to all the Supercars crews who will be uh, having rather shorter Christmas holidays than we will. The dramas with Gen 3 continue to rumble on and it's not just a matter of building the cars. There's all sorts of things they're uh, working through specification-wise still with that program. But in the end, the race teams will make it happen as they always do. So, uh, yeah, a collective uh, star of the off-season going out to all them. I'm sure that will comfort them at 1 o'clock in the morning <laughs> on Boxing Day when they're hammering bits into racing cars. It's all worth it if we can just pick up a pick up a star of the week. Anyway, that's uh, that's it, not just for this week but for this year. Thank you to everybody for listening along this year. It was our first full year with a pod and we've had an absolute ball. And the good news is that thanks to our friends at Castro, we will be back in 2023. Stefan, a huge thanks to you, mate, for all your efforts this year. Uh, I want to give a shout-out to our producer, AJ Hawkins, who has to listen to me say, ah, sorry, AJ, I'm going to try that again many, many times. Uh, So thanks for all your hard work. Uh, Thanks as well to Will Dale and Tanae McLeod for for, for your work in the background. And of course, the sleuth himself, Aaron Noonan, for giving us the platform in the first place. We'll see you in 2023 for more Castrol Motorsport News. Every lap in under a minute. Every move made to matter. Every decision impacting the outcome of the race. Supercars in Perth. Every second matters. Bosch Power Tools Perth Super Sprint. May 17 to 19. Book now at Ticketek. Supercars. Unforgettable. Hey, it's Chaz Mostert here. And yes, I'm inside your speaker. I'm in here because I have a special message for you from Clayton in Melbourne. If you're a club, state or national racer on the circuit or on the dirt in Speedway or rallying, you can now tap into the know-how of Walkinshaw Racing Services and you don't need a supercar to get in the door. The same expertise that's won multiple Bathurst 1000s and V8 Supercar Championships is now available for you to call upon. From bonnet to bumper, WRS can help you with engines, design, paint, machining, 
fabrication, and so much more for all sorts of makes, models, and categories. Have a chat with Walkinshaw Racing Services and tell them what matters to you. Call now on 1300 W Racing or email services at walkinshawracing.com.au.